Good evening, everybody. Welcome back into To The Point. Hope you're doing well on this Thursday, December 7th. A lot to dive into tonight. So much has happened since we last spoke on Tuesday. But plan going forward is to do four podcasts a week. Going to do Sunday nights, as we did uh, last week. So we'll do one on Sunday. I'm going to do one tomorrow. After work, we're going to preview the NFL weekend, talk about the spreads, all that fun stuff. I plan to talk World Juniors today. It's not going to happen because so much has gone on in the world of sports that we will get to. Uh, we will get to the World Juniors, and I do want to talk about it. But there's this great thing that they're going to release the team, and when the team's set, we'll talk about it because it's just easier to do it that way. And when all the rosters are set, so we will talk World Juniors, just won't be today. But today on the show, NHL injuries, thorns in the side. We got some interesting matchups tonight. The Oilers look like the 72 Dolphins all of a sudden. They can't be beat. Patrick Kane is making his debut for the Detroit Red Wings this evening. The Los Angeles Kings haven't lost a road game. Brady Kachuk is a stud. Is the Battle of Ontario back? No, but that game is on tonight. So we're going to talk all of that in just a little bit. But today's show is about something we all love. Money. Oh, money. I always said growing up I didn't care about money, which to an extent I still don't, but I want to have it more than I don't want to have it. So I guess you could say I do care about money quite a bit. Money is the currency. Money is something we can't, you can say, you can't quantify because the richest people in the world want more money. Elon Musk is on Twitter saying crazy things. Bob Iger has completely made Disney this woke liberal company that is losing money, <laughs> much to my laughs and smiles. But through it all, whether you're a middle-class worker, whether you work for the government, whether you do anything, you work to get a paycheck, which equals money. If you don't have money, you're in a tough spot. And for professional athletes, it's never been a better time to be one. Because pro athletes have garnered the attention of the masses. They have people wrapped around their finger. They control their life. I'm doing this. I'm seeking out a career in media, if you will, or just truth, because there's so little of that in the media today. I'm seeking out a career in truth because of professional athletes. Without professional athletes, I wouldn't be doing this. I wouldn't, I wouldn't know what the hell to do with my life. Because it wouldn't have a whole lot of anything in it, and it doesn't have much already. But professional athletes get viewership, they get people in seats, they get camaraderie, and even people who don't like sports seem to care about issues, seem to jump in, it's just the way it is now. So, do professional athletes make crazy money? Yes. Should doctors, should lawyers make more money than professional athletes? 
Yes, but they don't, and they never will, because professional athletes and sports as a business is booming. We've talked about football. We've talked about the NBA and Steph Curry making $60 million this year to play basketball. And we all know he won't play all 82 games because he'll have to load manage or he'll twist his ankle. So hopefully he can get into 65. But that $60 million is, of course, 100% guaranteed. But they, it's just the currency. And it goes up every year. The meteorite steals. This is a whole crazy thing. But today's first money topic, because there's more than one, it's about golf. Golf. The one sport, or it used to be, where you didn't have a set salary. You weren't working 9 to 5 and you weren't making $65,000 a year. You were making what your talent allowed you to make. You miss a cut, you go home without a check. As Ian Poulter talked about on Full Swing, Season 1. You're a great golfer. You go home with a two to three million dollar prize at the end of a tournament. It can change your life. It's life changing money, which it is. You could have a good career. You make nine, ten million dollars, which is more than enough money to support you and your family until you get put in the ground. But golf is changing as well. With the advent with the introduction of Live Golf. We've talked about Live Golf lots. The Saudi-backed golf league. Three rounds, no cut. You can wear shorts, I'm all for that. But it's a competitor. It was the USFL, the XFL to the NFL at the beginning. But the thing is, the USFL and the XFL didn't have the pockets of Saudi Arabia, did not have the fund, pardon the pun, of the Saudi investment fund, which, you know, I've had chats with this about my father, and he goes, they can't just spend crazy money like this, and I I completely agree with him. He's a business person. I trust his business savvy over just about anybody. Some of my favorite things are watching Shark Tank with him because I I learn from the sharks. I also learn from him. But what I think, what, what, what I've been learning about this, and it's so fascinating, Saudi Arabia does not care how much money they spend on golf. And they don't care how much money they are losing on these golfers and on their ratings. If you do not know... Golf, Live Golf, is on a channel called The CW. The CW used to have uh, Degrassi on it, that stupid Drake show. I think uh, Smallville was on The CW, maybe. Correct me if I'm wrong. I remember Smallville as a young child. When my older cousins were like 14, 15, they were in high school. That's when The CW had its coming out party. That's when The CW was a thing. 
Smallville's been off the air for over a decade. Degrassi, I don't know, Drake's been started from the bottom. Now we hear about 18 times since then. So the CW is not exactly top of mind. It's not Crave with The Last of Us and The White Lotus. But Live Golf is on the CW, where they average low, low ratings, where twice last season they were interrupted for a playoff hole with something called House Hunters. And yes, that's normally I've, I've heard on HGTV, because I've seen my father and my mother watch it, and it's, it's a befuddling show, and it makes no sense, and it's boring as all get out. But that was also on the CW that day. I guess they needed some programming because they couldn't get reruns of Smallville. But through these horseshit ratings... And losing crazy amounts of money paying Phil Mickelson and going to these Trump events and nobody being there and protests because Saudi the Saudi government had something or partnership with 9-11. They are gaining traction. The oil money in Saudi Arabia, however they're making the money, we'll never really know. We can say it's oil. We can say it's this, that, the other. All I know is they have money. And after acquiring Cameron Smith and getting old lefty Phil Mickelson and Ian Poulter, and a number of Brooks Kepka and Chase Kepka, and a number of great this morning. John Rom, the man who won the Masters last year who led the PGA Tour in earnings for most of the year, who won six events last year, has defected. John Rahm has left for live. For a reported number between $500 and $600 million. John Rahm's going to make half a billion dollars to play golf 12 to 14 times a year. <laughs> Something else. For three rounds. Doesn't have to play that fourth round. You don't have to make a cut. You play on a team where you can make more money. Here's the thing. Live golf in their format and the way they went about it was stupid, uninteresting, not entertaining. But that's kind of all been thrown in the hamper. And the reason I say that to you all is because live golf, you could make the argument now has three of the top five golfers in the world. John Rahm, Masters champion last year. Brooks Kepka, who won the PGA Championship. And Cameron Smith, who won the Open two years ago. <laughs> you can make the argument... They have the better product. 
They have more money. And once again, it does not matter how much money they're losing. It does not matter what kind of ratings they get. For whatever reason, they are attacking the PGA Tour and they must believe they can do something. To this point, they haven't made money. They've lost tons. I don't believe they can make it up with the amount of reported salaries they're paying people. But the PGA Tour, who is reportedly going to merge with Liv, we also got this update this morning. Since the reported merger... PGA Commissioner Jay Monahan's been pushed to the side. The players don't have a whole lot of trust in him. They don't like him. He went behind their back. And he's kind of, he's the backup quarterback. He's holding the clipboard while negotiations are ongoing. The man who's leading these negotiations from the player's side this is funny, is Patrick Cantlay. Mr. Hugo Boss himself, one of the most mercurial, weird, and openly disliked players on the PGA Tour. Not to mention, Brooks Kepka hates him. Patrick Cantlay might be the slowest golfer in golf history. Might have the worst gear. He's a hell of a player. But I would never choose to watch a Patrick Cantlay round because you'll be there all damn day. But he's negotiating for the PGA Tour. Why it's not Rory McIlroy or Justin Thomas or somebody at least that is light. <laughs> somebody that, I mean, I don't know. If, if I was in a union, I would want the leader of my union to be somebody I at least enjoyed their company. I at least like them. I don't want somebody speaking on my behalf if I don't care for them whatsoever. Because they don't know what I want. Because why would they? I can't stand them. I haven't told them. They don't know. I wouldn't trust them. They're, they're scum to me. Cantlay is leading these negotiations. And here's the, here's the deal. Live Golf and PGA were supposed to merge. But they have a hard deadline. Prior to the next seasons for the PGA and the Live Tours to come up with a deal by December 31st, 2023. So if no deal is rectified, then all that effort by Jay Monahan might be flushed down the drain, might be gone, and the Live Tour can continue to exist as its own entity. Which is disaster for the PGA Tour because they are in a bad spot right now. They are still going to get their sponsors, John Deere, AT&T, Wells Fargo, RBC, all these companies are still going to want to attach themselves to the PGA Tour. But when you announce events 
you always start that press release. Like, for instance, the RBC Canadian Open released had a statement today. Rory McIlroy is returning to the event next year once again. That's a great headline because you got one of the best golfers in the world at your event. It's big news. But when Rory and Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth and Victor Hovland are tired because they're playing so many weekends and you go to the John Deere Classic or some event in the middle of July after the majors are over and you hear, we got Siwoo Kim coming to town this weekend at the RBC Heritage. Coming this weekend, we have Siwoo Kim as our feature headliner. Alongside, we're going to bring Tom Hoagie and, of course, the wily and always in it veteran, Jason Duffner. Won't be those players, but it's getting thinner. Tiger says he wants to play once a month. Okay. I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it because if he gets hurt at the first major of the year and he grabs an ass cheek, he'll have another surgery. He's put a lot of wear and tear on that body. I'm not saying he's soft. I'm just saying that's the way he is right now. He's, he's an old man in golf terms. And the way he's lived, he is an old man in general. The PGA still has many great players, yes, but it isn't as good as it used to be. John Rahm is a massive, massive piece. Because to me, other than Scotty Scheffler, he's the best golfer in the like on the PGA Tour. He's one of the best golfers in the world. The PGA still has Scotty Scheffler, who won Tiger's event in the Bahamas last week. And Tom Kim's a rising star, and Victor Hovland is the stud of studs. You got some good players, don't get me wrong. But Liv has the putter. They got the driver of the ball in Kepka, and they got John Rom, who was the jack of all trades. Not to mention, even at his age, Phil Mickelson is a draw. And he's available to play more than Tiger. Not an opinion, just a fact. The sport of golf was under attack when Liv first came and they started to poach players. But you had incredibly strong people like Hideki Matsuyama. Another former Masters champion who turned down $600 million and stayed on the PGA Tour instead of going to live. They wanted Hideki like the Blue Jays want Shohei Otani. It's about money. It's about ratings in Japan. In Korea. Getting the ratings getting people to turn on their TVs. Because when there's only a few guys from that country, that's who they root for. 
as patriotic as the United States wants everybody to think that they are, these countries like Japan, like France, China, they care about their athletes way more than anybody from North America. Because they root them on no matter what. You're from here, we love you. We got your back, you're our guy, let's do this. Here it's like, oh, okay. Oh, you're LeBron, you're from Akron, Ohio, you suck. We hate you. You're too much of this, you're too much of that. And, and myself included. I do it all the time. There are players from Canada I can't stand, sure. They don't do it in other countries. They love them. And they support them. John Rahm, Spain. Eh, take the ratings. Doesn't hurt. The, the PJ Tour was under attack when Liv first came. What's transpiring... And if a deal is not reached by the end of December, by the end of 2023, this could be the atomic bomb in Hiroshima when it comes to that sport and the PGA Tour. Because where's it going to go? Are people going to stay? Can you still say you have the best golfers in the world? You really can. How many majors is Liv going to win this year? That's interesting. There's so many talented golfers in the world right now. It's, it's as good as it's ever been. So much better than when Tiger was beginning. So much better. Because average players are fantastic. The Canadian crop that we have with Svensson and looking at Nick Taylor, who won the you know the RBC Canadian Open last year, and Taylor Pendrith, and all the talent that we have, Mackenzie Hughes, Corey Connors. Golf Canada's never been better. And that's just our little country here. We had two guys win events last year, from Canada, on the PGA Tour. John Rahm helps out our Canadians, sure, because there's less to compete with. But do more players start to defect to say, you know what? All the best players are on that other tour. They're making all the money. Why shouldn't I... Make, get some life-changing money for my family if I can. The PGA Tour was desperate for a deal because they need one. Because Live Golf is coming for their turf. And if they don't come up with a solution, it could be gone forever. They need this deal. They need this partnership. But I think they're coming to the position now. Jay Monahan and the higher-ups on the PGA Tour. 
Saudi Arabia is going to control golf. Whether it's on the PGA Tour or Live, I don't see a deal where Saudi Arabia is not the control person. Because why wouldn't they? They have the money. They have the golfers. And the PGA Tour is desperate. Because is John Deere going to stay around? Is Wells Fargo? Is all these different companies? The fear used to be we're not going to stay because we don't want to be associated with Saudi Arabia. Well, UFC, boxing, Formula One, they've all dipped their toe. Uh, WWE, they've all dipped their toes in the Saudi Arabia water. And when they dip their toes in, what comes out are green. They might be the worst people in the world, but they have more money than anybody else is willing to give them. So you're going to take it and partner and try to make it a success. Maybe John Deere, maybe these companies are going to look around and go, you know what? This wave of cancel culture and snowflakes and liberal people just getting their way is kind of coming to an end. It's kind of dying off. And I don't think companies are going to look and worry about the heat they're going to take for siding with an evil Country. And I'm not disagreeing that they aren't. But 600 million is 600 million. The PGA Tour can make money in Jay Monahan for those sponsors for the next 30 years. It's his job to make sure they do it. It's like Roger Goodell, any other commissioner. Your job is to work for the shareholders and make sure that they get a fat check every year. That's your job. That's what you are paid to do. So maybe these companies are going to go, you know what? Let's swing this way while the pendulum's swinging towards a Republican way of thinking. And we'll let Bob Iger die on his hill over there and these other companies that are, you know, zagging when everybody's zigging. We'll let him die over there and we'll just kind of slide under the radar and make this happen. Because it's kind of, I think this is going to be the future. This is my prediction. Saudi Arabia is going to control the PGA Tour. Saudi Arabia is going to, they bought into the PFL, which is the, the minor league system, basically, the second rated MMA company in the world. Formula One, Saudi Arabia, WWE, two shows a year, Saudi Arabia. They sell them out. They do incredible gates. Money. Boxing is going to have more events in Saudi Arabia in 10 years than they might have in the United States in a calendar year. 
Two days before Christmas, there's a boxing event in Saudi Arabia. It's one of the best cards of my lifetime. It's not in Vegas. It's not in Atlanta. It's in Saudi Arabia during rehab season. Because His Excellency puts on fights. USC used to go to Saudi Arabia once a year. They're going twice next year. United Emirates has money. This story is fascinating. It might be for the worst. It could be for the better. We don't know yet. It's a wait and see. My prediction, Saudi Arabia is going to control golf. It's just a matter of time. Jay Monahan, you should have told the players when you're doing the deal and you wouldn't have this backlash. But you hid in the shadows like a coward, and now this is what happens. First thing, this t- you got to get it done by December 31st. That's a non-negotiable. Tell Patrick Cantley to take a fucking hike, get a new shirt, and get somebody in there that can actually do this for the players. It's just... Things are changing. Things are changing in the world. Amazon. Get this. Amazon entered the boxing business today. Amazon. Thursday night football. Now they're into boxing. Boxing leaves Showtime for the first time in 60 years. And Amazon jumps in Prime Video. Multi-year deal with PBC for pay-per-view bouts. Boxing. How much you want to bet some of those pay-per-view events are going to be in Saudi Arabia? Pick me. They're going to be. Some of them anyway. And more as the years go on. Streaming companies have the money. (laughs) These big companies have the money. And Saudi Arabia has money. Again, I don't know how they're getting it. Have a lot of oil over there, but they have the money. That's all that matters. Everything else is a moot point. They have the money. The San Diego Padres spent a lot of money last year. See that transition? To miss the playoffs. They traded two years ago with the Washington Nationals. For a World Series champion left fielder by the name of Juan Soto. A career 285 hitter. Hit 34 home runs last year. Won a World Series with the Nationals in 2019. They looked around and go, well, we got Manny Machado. and Josh Hader's in our bullpen. He's the best closer in baseball. Blake Snell was an awesome pitcher for the Rays. You Darvish, we got an all-star team. We can't be beat. We can't be stopped. We got Fernando Tatis Jr. the third, my former baseball player, coming back off PEDs. There's no way we don't make the playoffs, even with the big bad Dodgers who have owned us since we entered the league, in front of us. Well, after having the third highest payroll in baseball, 
The Padres missed the playoffs. Were close, missed by six and a half games. Then this offseason, their owner passed away. Sorry, Mr. Seidler. So it's I believe it's going to his son. It's in the process of being changed over. AJ Preller was nearly fired, but he stays on. They make a managerial change and Mike Schilt, former Cardinals manager, becoming the bench boss. And yes, lots, lots happened with San Diego. But they had one clear direction. We want to stay competitive, but we have to make some changes, clearly, because we didn't have success this year. True. Good statement. But if you read between the lines, and I'm a really good, that's one of my great skills, is reading between the lines when sports teams are talking. What that really means is we want to tell you we're going to remain competitive, which we plan to do. That's true. But we're going to try to do it with a lower payroll, like the Orioles did this year, just for instance. Like the Rays do every year, much to our chagrin. Like the Marlins did this year. They will spend more money than these teams, but there's no way in God's green earth that the San Diego Padres should have the third highest payroll in baseball. They don't have the attendance. They don't have the ballpark. They don't have the revenue to do it. But they spent the money and it failed. So reading between the lines, San Diego... Traded a great player today, but they also moved money out of the organization. This morning, or late last night, I guess it was, the Padres traded Juan Soto and former gold glover center fielder Trent Grisham to the New York Yankees for pitcher Michael King. Second-rated prospect in their system, Randy Vasquez, Yohani Brito, Drew Thorpe, and backup catcher, Kyle Hishioka. So let's get into this. The Yankees spent a lot of money, like they did last year, like the Padres, and they also did not make the playoffs. Again, not close. Disaster year. Judge missed a lot of time. Frankie Montas missed the entire season after they signed him to a contract. That was a disaster. Severino was a complete gas can. They just, every move they made did not work. But over the pitcher from the San Francisco Giants, I'm blanking on his name right now, but he had like a 13 ERA in the month of August. He was just, he was all over the Carlos Rodon. So the Yankees go, hey, Juan Soto, Baltimore is going to get rid of him. We know this. So we should go get him. Brian Cashman, who was nearly fired, this offseason, and then made some comments about Jim Carlos. And he was all over the place. I think he pulled off a pretty good trade here. You get two outfielders, which is what they need. 
They didn't have to trade Anthony Volpe, who had a great rookie campaign and will be their shortstop going into this season. You didn't have to trade a starting pitcher on your roster that has some value or a guy in their pipeline. You trade Michael King, who's a solid starter, but he's a 3-4 at best. Back end of the rotation guy. He's a good player. But do I think he's an ace on a World Series team? I don't. You get Randy Vasquez, who's the second-rated prospect in your system. you got to trade good players to get good players. So you like to have that. Is the prospect going to work out? Who knows? Prospects are weird. Austin Martin was traded from the Blue Jays to the Twins a number of years ago. He still has not played a big league game. So that trade for the guy who was pulled in the playoff game this year after going three and a third innings has looked pretty good on paper. Brito is a good pitcher, and Hishioka is a backup catcher who the Yankees use as a starting catcher because they never really upgraded that position after they decided to part with Gary Sanchez. Winner of this deal to me is the Yankees, but it's always going to be the Yankees because they get the best player in the deal, and I also like the Trent Grisham addition. You now look at the outfield for the Yankees. Left field, they're going to have Alex Verdugo who they acquired from the Boston Red Sox yesterday. Verdugo's not hit for a lot of power, but now he's going to be playing in Yankee Stadium. And you can hit a ball to the left in Yankee Stadium about 240 feet, and it's a home run. I mean, it's a little it's a little baby park. So it's, it's, it's for children, Yankee Stadium. Anybody can hit a home run there. wonder why Judge hit so many. What? But yeah, Yankees say Verdugo hit one home runs playing left field. Just it's gonna happen. Verdugo and left. Center field, Trent Grisham. Two-time gold glove winner in center field. I read today Judge is gonna be our starting center fielder. No. Why trade for Grisham and put him in right? He's a center fielder. It's the same thing with the Blue Jays and George Springer. When they brought in Kevin Kiermeyer, Kevin Kiermeyer was their center fielder. George Springer, he's a vet. He's won a World Series MVP. They said, we don't care. You're moving over. Because Kevin Kiermeyer might be the best center fielder of his generation. Well, Trent Grisham's won two gold gloves in center field. It's hard on the body than right field. Let Aaron Judge play right. And he got hurt playing right last year anyway. So, And you have Aaron Judge in right field. That's a great outfield. It's a really good, some power, some speed, skill. Pardon me, you got Juan Soto playing left field and you have Verdugo platooning. You have Soto, Grisham, and Judge. Pardon me, screwed that up. But you got Verdugo who can come off the bench as, as your extra outfielder. That's a that's a real that's it's hard to beat that outfield in all of baseball. 
Soto, Grisham, Judge. Soto at 34 home runs last year. I'm predicting at least 40, uh, 40 to 45 this year. Just the Yankee Stadium bump alone. I joke about the ballpark, but it is easier to hit home runs than it is in Petco. The Yankees, last two days, a lot of good work. I still think they need pitching. Because were their bats perfect last year? No. And when they didn't have Judge, they were in big trouble. But I don't trust their pitching staff. I look at this team and go, who's, you love Garrett Cole. Nestor Cortez, mm, don't really, Clark Schmidt, he's solid. He's in your rotation, no doubt about it. Ian Hamilton, can he be a starting pitcher? I wouldn't bet money. I think the Yankees are going to have to go out there and look for two pitchers in the free agent market. Because even with Soto and Judge and Grisham and Verdugo and DJ LeMahieu, who they wish they didn't have, I don't know if you're winning the American League East. You need somebody to get outs other than Garrett. I've already seen them have a shitty pitching staff with Garrett Cole. And they didn't make the playoffs last year. But I think Brian Cashman did good work because I don't think he depleted the team. By acquiring these players. And now it's up to the Yankees. Whether they want to spend the money. Juan Soto has one year left on his deal. He can play it out. Which is what I think he's going to do. Because his agent is Scott Boris. Scott Boris is going to make his players test the market. He'll go see what's out there. Play for the Yankees for a season. And. Test it, unless they offer him crazy money today, and then he'll resign. But Soto plays a year with Judge. You see how much success you can have. Excitement in the Bronx. You have another star player. He's only 25. So right in his prime. The Yankees are going to be a team that can afford to pay him because he's already turned down a $450 million contract from the Nationals back in the day. I don't believe he and the Padres ever discussed a long-term extension because I don't think they ever were going to do it. They knew the money would be too crazy and they weren't going to be willing to go that far. But the Yankees, who were a laughing stock last year, I predicted before the season would miss the playoffs, and they did, made some good moves over the last 24 hours. They improved their team a great deal. But are they a World Series contender? Are they a World Series threat right now? Absolutely not. They got shiny new toys. 
And to the naked eye, and you're talking to your friends, oh, the Yankees are going to win the World Series. Go look at their pitching staff. Go look it up. It's pretty simple there. Juan Soto doesn't really start the, the free agency dominoes, if you will. Juan Soto steered a year left. He was going to be a Padre for the season. This was a trade. This is the Yankees wanting to get ahead of it. Verdugo was a trade. Shohei Otani is going to set the market. He is going to start for agency. And the bigger names will come off the board when he decides to go somewhere. It's Thursday of the winter meetings. And the way it's going, I don't think Shohei Otani is going to sign a contract with anybody until 2024. I'm sure he knows where he wants to go already. It's reported it's down to the Blue Jays, Dodgers, potentially the San Francisco Giants, and the Los Angeles Angels are still in play. He's flown to Dunedin. He's flown to Los Angeles to meet with Andrew Friedman and Dave Roberts. He doesn't want anything leaked, which is a joke that Reporters can't report on the situation because managers are afraid to talk about anything. I like Shohei Otani, but if you're telling people they can't talk about that they met with you or their whereabouts, get your head out of your ass. You're an egomaniac, and I really don't want you on my team. He is a unicorn. He is one of the best players in Major League Baseball history. There's no doubt about that. But if he cannot pitch again, because he's coming off his second Tommy John, even though the Angels did not say Tommy John when he had the surgery, which again, first, then he's just a batter, which is incredibly valuable, but you're a DH. So what are you worth? Heard Steve Phillips talk about this on the three-letter this week. That there's no way he's signing Shohei Otani for $500 million unless it's a $400 plus million deal with incentives if he pitches. Because you're not paying a guy half a billion dollars to just be a bat. Well, Juan Soto's hoping that he will get it, but he also plays a position. A DH making that kind of money is crazy. Blue Jays fans are excited because they're in the mix. Here's what I want to tell Blue Jays fans, because I know there's a lot of you that listen to the podcast. So I just want to kind of just settle you down a bit. If the Toronto Blue Jays sign Shohei Otani, that's fantastic. He will be awesome for the city. He will help them make all kinds of money domestically. With the Japanese market, new sponsorships like the like Ichiro did for Seattle and for the Florida Marlins, it's amazing. However, that money will not be enough money for the Blue Jays to keep Otani, Guerrero, and Bichette on long-term deals. I'll even go to say it's a 0% chance. Those three players might play one year together, the three of them. 
There are radio hosts who don't understand that there's only so much money and Rogers has all this money and they'll spend it. Rogers lays off employees more than any other company in Canada. What they've done to Sportsnet, good Sportsnet employees, and hire them with shitty ones to talk about sports tells you just what they do. They have money, but it's not Saudi Arabia money. It's not coming out of the crevices. It's not Pablo Escobar burning money every day because he has so much of it. If Shohei Otani gets signed for, say, $500 million, and then Vladimir Guerrero Jr. comes up, and you know he'll want 400 because he's not going to say I'm $200 million less than Shohei Otani. So that's $900 million. And then you sign Bo Bichette. Bo Bichette thinks he's a better player than Vladimir Guerrero Jr., and for good reason. He has been over the last year and a half. So is Bo Bichette going to take $50 million less than Vladimir Guerrero Jr.? Well, based off the my knowledge of Toronto athletes, that doesn't normally happen. It's a Maple Leafs reference. We didn't catch up on it. So 5 plus 4, that's 9. 9 plus 4, I'm not, a great, I'm not awesome at math, but I think that's 13. So that, that would be $1.3 billion on three players? That's what it would be. These guys take long-term contracts in baseball because that's the way it is. We'll sign 10, 12 years. And teams don't listen. They don't learn from these Albert Pujols deals. And Miguel Cabrera, they'll say, no, we're not going to do it ever again. We promise. Okay, we'll do it. Otani's 30. Vladdy's been a guy playing first base without any goddamn power in his back. The Blue Jays would be a formidable team, and I'll tell you this, they'd be a much higher favorite to win the World Series in the New York Yankees today if they got Shohei Otani. But I think the Blue Jays fans should look at this as, if you get Shohei Otani for a season, you're getting him, you're getting him for this season with these group of players to try to win a championship. It's pushing all your chips to the middle of the table because I don't believe the Blue Jays are keeping all three. There's a certain radio host with a three-letter who thinks that's going to happen. Just talk about finances. How's that going to work? $1.3 billion to three players? What's the rest of your team making? Is Nick and Knight playing center field? Are you trading all your pitchers? Is every pitcher making league minimum? Rodgers has money. And they're, although this is in the midst of the Blue Jays making renovations to their stadium for the second straight winner, which is costing him $300 million. Otani might go to the Blue Jays. Sounds like he might. 
But I just want to talk about what this really means. Because do I want to talk about money all the time when it comes to sports and contracts? No. It's not fun sometimes. I don't want to talk about people's money. But it's such a fabric of the sport. It's such a topic of conversation that it's impossible to ignore. You have to bring it up because you have to look at the entire roster and go, what's going to happen with this? What's going to happen with the Blue Jays in this case? They'll be able to keep guys for a little bit. But when Bichette wants money and Guerrero wants money, who's being left out? And does Otani want to come to the Blue Jays knowing that Guerrero or Bichette are only going to be there for one year, maybe two? Maybe two years? I don't know. Sounds like it's going to be the Dodgers or the Blue Jays. And it would be amazing if he came up and played in Canada. Tickets would be insane. I can't even imagine what you're going to be paying for that. (laughs) It's going to be a lot of money. I know that. A lot, a lot of money. But that's the way it goes. But I don't think Otani's signing a deal with anybody this week. I think it'll be in 2024 and the waiting game will continue. Why not progress it? Keep them waiting. Cody Bellinger will be pissed off, I'm sure, and Matt Chapman. And a lot of these guys who want to get in, want to get their contracts done before Christmas. Well, if Otani doesn't want to sign, they're not gonna they're not paying anybody any money. Scott Boris can wait for the new year. Have a nice Christmas dinner and have a nice big fat check to start off 2024. When all his clients get deals. Long-term ones. Other baseball news. Former pitcher with the Boston Red Sox. Detroit Tigers. Eduardo Rodriguez. Signed a four-year, $80 million deal with the Arizona Diamondbacks yesterday. Eduardo's had a strange run. Was in Boston. Had heart issues. Missed a lot of time, but was a very solid pitcher. His last year there, he was dynamite. He left in for agency. Goes to the Tigers, where he signed a five-year deal. But after the second year, he had a player option on what he wanted to do. So plays for two years in Detroit, misses some time because of family issues that we didn't really get into, didn't know much. Then was missing games for other reasons. And Detroit wanted him to waive his no trade at the trade deadline this year to go to the Dodgers. But he said, no, not going to the Dodgers, not going to go in a player. Boy, they could have used him. Stays in Detroit till the end of the year and he opts out. He now says, screw the Dodgers, screw the Tigers. He's going to Arizona, who made the World Series last year for four years, $80 million, $20 million a year. 
Arizona beat the Dodgers in the playoffs. Arizona had a great run with a lot of young players. You can get a season ticket to the Diamondbacks for about 23 bucks for the entire season right now. Eduardo said he wants to want to find a place where he could live year round. I understand that. It's pretty nice in California too, but he decides to go to Arizona. It's just a strange situation that he wouldn't go on a playoff team. Stays in Detroit, now goes to Arizona. Arizona won't duplicate their season. Will they be a playoff team? That'll be the biggest question. Spending money to stay in the fight, I give them credit for that. But I don't know if Eduardo Rodriguez is the smartest guy to place money on. The Baltimore Orioles, AL East champions, added to their bullpen yesterday, signing Craig Kimbrell to a one-year $13 million deal. This is basically adding a closer, Felix Bautista, who was an all-star in 2023, one of the best closers in baseball, had Tommy John surgery. He's out for all of 2024. They have Yanir Cano, who's more of a setup man, who's awesome in that eighth inning. Kimbrell's been a closer of a World Series team. He's pitched in high leverage moments. He's been in these situations. Had his ups and downs over the last couple of years, but Baltimore says coming in and join the fray. Again, a guy who has experience, who's won a World Series, adding to their group of young players. I don't think it's a bad move. One year, $13 million. For Baltimore... They need to add some pitching, add some more veteran pitcher, uh, veteran players to that team. And they very well could be in the mix to win the AL East again, even, even though the Yankees got one Soto today. And the Blue Jays are looking for Shohei Otani. They have a lot of young players who are cheap right now. And if they can add some pitching to their team, they can do some damage. If they bring back the same pitching staff that they had this year, I don't know if they make the playoffs. I think it's that big of a swing. It was the right time, right fit this year for that team to make the playoffs with that pitching staff. I don't think they can overcome it again. Blake Snell is a free agent. Somebody is going to overpay him. He's not a spring chicken. He just won a Cy Young. He's, He's been great. But somebody's going to overpay him and give him too many years. Is it going to be Baltimore? Will they be the ones to go, you know what, we need Blake Snell. Come back to the American League East and play with Gunnar Henderson and Anthony Santander. Come play with our great players and try to win a World Series. Other pitchers out there, for sure. But Blake Snell is the top of the list. Winter meetings are still ongoing. But as the hours tick down, it just kind of tells me Shohei Otani is going to leave the winter meetings. They're going to leave Nashville. And he's going to be unsigned. And still out there looking for a new home. 
that's the baseball update. Nothing new to report as I'm just checking Twitter and such before we pivot to another discussion. But no, nothing, nothing yet on the baseball front. We'll keep you updated as we go on here. 24 minutes ago, this is from Darren Dreger on Twitter. Second opinion upholds the prognosis on Thomas Shabbat. He will be out of the center's lineup four weeks minimum. Surgery is not required. Bad luck for the veteran D-man. We talked about this on Tuesday. Left the game then sat out against the Rangers with that injured leg. Been out for most of this season. He's had some tough luck. And we move forward here. They need him in the lineup. I've talked about it. Chikrin, Sanderson have to do more. But they played the fewest games in the NHL. They have the least amount of margin for error. And you have to move on. Tuesday night, they whooped the Rangers. Brady Kachuk had one of his best games of the season. He's had a really great start to the season. 13 goals in 20 games. And they get the Maple Leafs tonight in Ottawa, Battle of Ontario. It's not a return to the rivalry because the teams need to be close, needs to be in the standings. You need to think Ottawa is a threat, which they have not been, including this year for some time. But you do have the Battle of Ontario today. On the opposite side of the ice, Maple Leafs also had their injury news. Yesterday they confirmed what we all thought. John Klingberg will undergo season-ending hip surgery and will miss the remainder of the season which means that the Maple Leafs now have $4.1 million to play with in salary cap space. Which if you can add now, you got Jake Muzzin, Matt Murray, and John Klingberg all not playing this year for Toronto. So Tampa fans rejoice after the Maple Leafs fans bemoaned what you did the last you know, a couple years with Nikita Kucherov. They're doing it now, cheating just like you were cheating, even though they're not cheating. It's not cheating. But when the Maple Leafs do it, you don't hear anybody talk about it because they're all a bunch of fanboys, so they won't. I'm a journalist. I play it down the middle, so I bring every story to light. So you're welcome, Dan. I've talked about this before. Klingberg being out right now is a detriment. Klingberg being out long-term is an advantage because you'll bring in a better defenseman on your roster. Benoit and Lagesson have been okay. They're placeholders. They are not long-term solutions. Chris Tanev will always be at the top of the list. He's a name that will be floated. Again, will Calgary make that move? Did they want to trade him in December? They've already moved a guy earlier in the season in Nikita Zadorov. I don't think that's a pressing need. Columbus Blue Jackets, who stink. Do they, they traded Eric Robinson yesterday to Buffalo. Do they want to make another trade? Anaheim Ducks are a sinking ship. Do they want to offload a defenseman to the Toronto Maple Leafs? Whenever it does happen, they will have the money to bring one or potentially two 
somebody's in to their lineup. Brad Shielding talked to the media, so he did a couple interviews, actually. One thing that didn't get asked to him, which I think is pressing, he decided to trade Sam Lafferty at the end of training camp to the Vancouver Canucks and kept Ryan Reeves. Lafferty has six goals. He's playing on the third line in Vancouver, and Vancouver's had a better start to the season than the Toronto Maple Leafs, and he's been a really effective player. Ryan Reese has been in and out of the lineup. He's been on for one goal for the entire season, and he does not look like a long-term solution for the team. Well, how did you come to that decision, and do you regret making it? That would have been my question. Do you regret that decision, getting rid of Sam Lafferty, a good hockey player, and instead keeping Ryan Reeves, who has brought nothing to the table? And me saying he's bringing nothing to the table might actually be doing him a favor. I'm curious, Maple Leafs haven't played since Saturday. Senators haven't played many games this year at all. So it should be fun. We had a lot of games in NHL tonight. With some interesting matchups. You know, the Edmonton Oilers, I want to talk about them for a minute. They whooped Carolina last night. It was 4 nothing before Carolina knew what was happening. Brad Brendamore was, was just having a gasket on the bench, talking to Darren Pang. Between the benches interview, whatever they call that, some sponsored segment. Zach Hyman had his second hat-trick of the season. He has the same number of points as Austin Matthews in the same number of games this season, which is pretty incredible. <laughs> He's also got 15 goals to Matthews 16. So, I mean, they're, they're... Edmonton, what they're doing now is they have the puck. They're cycling, and they're not allowing their opponent to have the puck. Just Edmonton has it constantly. Cycle, 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 create opportunities. And they find ways to score goals. McDavid is in his bag. Incredible passes. Finding Zach Hyman. Setting up Nugent Hopkins. They just look confident. They look like they're having fun. McDavid's only 10th in scoring. But he's 12 points back of Kucherov. Which he could easily catch. To think he's had this poor start, but he's got more points than Brock Besser, Jack Eichel, Dreisaitl, Nylander. Trying to catch up with Panarin, JT Miller, and Nikita Kucherov, who's had an incredible start to the season. Tampa hit the ditch there. They've won two in a row. Vasilevsky's allowed one goal in the last two games. Kucherov, four points in the last two games for him. That Tampa Bay power play is just completely unstoppable. 
But two teams that were kind of struggling that have found their game a bit, and I don't want to play Edmonton right now. They just have all the confidence in the world. The Los Angeles Kings, 10-0 and this season on the road. They look to make it 11-0 tonight in La Belle Province. Cam Talbot versus Samuel Montembeau. Montreal's been, you know, 500. They beat Seattle on Monday. They have a three-goalie system right now with Montembeau, Caden Primo, the kid, and Jake Allen. One of those goalies is going to be moved. Who it is, I don't know. They re recently signed Montembeau and Caden Primo as a kid. I think it's Jake Allen. Carolina could use his services. The New Jersey Devils could desperately use his services. Los Angeles has had really good goaltending to start the year. But I don't think they're winning a Stanley Cup with Cam Talbot the whole year. And that team could. They are that good. But they're just kind of going through their season. Piddling away. They don't really have an identity. I watch them. They're, they're an okay watch. But they're not all that interesting. I like watching LA because I just think they're dominant. They're so great at center. Patrick Kane will make his debut for the Detroit Red Wings tonight. Which is going to be strange to see. Detroit, a great team to start the season. All kinds of success. Dylan Larkin, Lucas Raymond, David Perron on the power play. Moritz Sider, my guy. They just have found their way. They're getting solid goaltending. Now you add Patrick Kane to the mix with his former teammate and Alex DeBrinkett. All kinds of firepower, and I'm going to watch some of this game tonight because I want to see how he plays. First game since Game 7 of the first round last year. Hip surgery, how does he come back from it? How does he look? What kind of movement does he have? What does he have left in the tank on a one-year deal? Detroit's played really well in the first two months to kind of make him want to come. They forced his hand to come to Detroit because they were a really good team. He could have went to Colorado or he could have went elsewhere, Florida, which I thought he might. But he chooses an original six team in Detroit. A team that believes that they can make the playoffs in a tough Atlantic division. With teams that seem to make it every year in Toronto, Boston, and Tampa Bay. They've hung with them to this point. How will that continue? Remains to be seen, but I'm curious to see Patrick Kane tonight. Tyson Berry. He's been granted permission to seek a trade for the National Predators. Then Barry Trotz goes on radio, calls him out saying Tyson Barry doesn't buy into the system. We change things up to play better defensively. He doesn't want to do it, and that's why he's in the press box. Tyson Barry then says, well, I'm in the press box because this team doesn't want to use my skills. Doesn't want to use me the right way. He says, I'm, I'm not producing on the ice because... I'm up in the stands. Pretty hard to produce when you're in. So they are not friends, not friendly in Nashville. Nashville might be the biggest fire sale team in the NHL. 
Tyson Berry's been a suitcase for a while now. Hasn't really found a home because there's not really a home for him. You let him play recklessly, have very little knowledge of his defensive play or how he approaches it or what his what his rules and responsibilities are back there. And he kind of runs rough shot and does whatever the hell he wants. And it works for a while, and he's really productive on the power play, and you like him, but eventually you figure out this player doesn't really win you anything. It doesn't help your team win. And you go, ah, pass. Nashville's not a great team. They've been, they've been solid to start this year. Tyson Berry's kind of an offload piece. You're not going to get a big return for him, especially knowing that he hates the team and the team hates him just as much. UC Saros is the big fish in Nashville and net. Carolina, LA, New Jersey, the usual suspects, as I've discussed. I think you're going to make calls on him eventually. When Barry Trotz wants to trade him, if he's open to trading him, remains to be seen. They have a young Russian goaltender who's on the come up playing in Milwaukee. A guy by the name of Yaroslav Askarov. Saros is great, but he makes $5 million bucks, and I think teams are going to be willing to give up quite a bit for his services with another year in his contract after this one. You can get him for two playoff runs, for two chances to win a Stanley Cup. I think teams are going to take it, and they're going to be willing to give up what they have to. Because if they don't, you're in that weird position where you have a goalie that you don't trust. New Jersey's a very good team. But Vitek Vanacek or Akira Schmid's not going to win you a Stanley Cup. Simple as that. I don't expect this to happen before Christmas. Might only happen late Feb, early March. But the Preds have the lightning tonight. And yes, they're 13 and 12, technically above 500. And you look at them in the standings and you go, wow, Nashville, only a point out of a wild card spot. But they're not a wild card team. They'll fall out of it. Edmonton with 21 points, two games in hand. That'll scare you. Even Minnesota, two games in hand on Nashville. Four points back. A better team than the Predators to me. Minnesota is in Vancouver tonight. Vancouver coming off a really poorly played game against the New Jersey Devils in the Hughes Bowl. Come back to tie the game late and they give up a game-winning goal with 30 seconds left. Should have at least gotten a point. That kills for them. Minnesota's on a run. We'll see who can play better tonight. Carolina on a back-to-back in Calgary. Dustin Wolf will get the start. Winnipeg in Colorado. In a very fun game, Philly against the Red Hot Desert Dogs, the Coyotes. Another NHL news, Philip Broberg, 
defenseman who wants a trade from the Edmonton Oilers was just sent down to Bakersfield on a conditioning stint. I don't think he's getting traded. He wants to because he's not being used the way him and his agent feel he should be. Hasn't been as productive, hasn't had a great start to his career. But he's down to Bakersfield to play more hockey. All that bitching and moaning, all the reports that he was granted permission to seek a trade, all not true. So his agent screwed the pooch on that one, and now he's not really in favor with the team. They don't like him as much anymore. He's going to have to kiss and make up and figure out something to do going forward here. But does Edmonton care? Not really right now. Philip Broberg's bottom of their to-do list because they're playing better hockey. And they look like one of the better teams in the league over the last 10 to 14 days. McDavid looks ship-shape. Stuart Skinner's got a 9.42 save percentage in his last six games. Edmonton has found it, and they are dangerous once again. So Philip Broberg, you might want it at Edmonton. You might feel that they haven't developed you properly, which they probably haven't. But it doesn't matter. Go to Bakersfield, take your lumps like Jan Campbell is still doing. NFL tonight. I'm not even sure I'm going to watch this game. It's so bad. Patriots at the Steelers. Steelers are a six-point favorite. Which is crazy because Pittsburgh's offense is horrible. Kenny Pickett's injured, so it's former second-oral pick Mitch Trubisky at quarterback. Bailey Zappi against Mitch Trubisky. Patriots are holding their opponent to 10 points per game in the last three games, but they're only averaging four in their last three. No Ramondre Stevenson for the Patriots. The running game is going to be hindered. No Kenny Pickett, obviously. Najee Harris did not practice all week, but it sounds like he's going to play tonight. This is one of the worst Thursday night football games in recent memory. I feel horrible for Al Michaels having to call this game tonight. This game is just so, so bad. So bad. Seems almost as bad as watching the Detroit Pistons. But we've lost 18 in a row now as they dropped another one at Memphis last night. But I have to talk about a pick. I'm, I take the Patriots plus six. If I'm making a pick tonight, I'm taking the Patriots plus six. I think the Steelers win, but I'm going to take the Patriots to cover because I think both teams... The Steelers aren't horrible, but the Patriots' defense is good. Maybe there's a pick six. There's a fumble recovery. Patriots plus six tonight. I don't think I'm going to watch it. I can't do it. That's so ugh. I'll probably check on it, but I don't. It's not going to be the first screen tonight, and normally football always is. Also announced, Joshua Dobbs will be the starting quarterback for the Vikings this week. We'll talk more about that tomorrow when we talk about the lines for the week and things of that nature. Zach Wilson will also get the start 
for the Jets after all that drama, all the talk. They're going to go to Simeon. Zach Wilson doesn't want to play. He's benched. He's a third stringer for two weeks. Now he's back under center. What a circus in New York this year. But Zach Wilson now back to being QB1. CFL Cody Fajardo re-ups in Montreal, as does Sean Lemon. So they're keeping parts of that great cup team. Scott Milanovic, named head coach of the Hamilton Tiger Cats. He's won three great cups. And Orlando Steinauer became president of football operations. So he's not out of the organization. But Scott Milanovic, who has won great cups, a lot of success in Toronto, he now becomes the head man. UFC. Next weekend, it's one of the best pay-per-views in a long time for me. Uh, an undercard fight that was awesome. You had Josh Emmett against Giga Kichaze. Chikaze tore his hamstring in training. So you had Josh Emmett say on Monday, saying, calling any, any featherweight, come fight me. You had guys saying, I'll come fight you, I'll do it. Bryce Mitchell, thug nasty. Stepping in on short notice to face Josh Emmett next weekend. He's going to open as the slight favorite as well. So Bryce Mitchell, 145 pounds. He he won his last fight. He's got he's riding the confidence wave. Another really fun fight. I like the replacement. Two very different styles. So Bryce Mitchell against Josh Emmett next weekend. In January in Toronto, former light heavyweight champion Jan Bohovic is supposed to Rematch with Alexander Rakic. We then learn through Rakic that Blahovich is out. They made fun of him for running from him, for being a bitch, and then said, Yuri Prohaska, let's fight. Prohaska just lost the light heavyweight title fight to Alex Pereira in November. Alex quickly responded, I'll do it, but I can't do it January. Let's do it in February or March. Rocket says, okay, let's book it February in Anaheim for UFC 298. I would absolutely do it. This is a blow for the Toronto card. But if I'm Dana White, if I'm Mick Maynard, I am booking this fight. Light heavyweight, two guys. The winner could very much be in the conversation for a title opportunity. Two guys that have great punching power, two great styles. Rakic has not fought in a long time. Trying to kind of regain that form, regain the confidence, and get back into the winning ways. Prohaska trying to rebound from a title fight loss. But that's a fun fight to make. Some some other fights were announced for pay-per-views. We'll talk about that. We got an event this weekend, a much lesser event, a really an apex card that is not fantastic. I like the Anthony Smith put a round tree fight. The main event is fun at featherweight, but not exactly MMA at its finest for sure. But tomorrow we're going to talk about the lines for the weekend in the NFL. That's coming up. We will preview that apex event in MMA. Want to talk about the NHL weekend storylines upcoming NBA in season tournament Final will be crowned. We got the game one of the in-season tournament going right now where 
The Pacers lead the Bucks 54-44 with three minutes left in the second quarter. So will it be the Pacers or the Bucks against Pelicans or the Lakers? That will be decided tonight. Some great college basketball coming up this weekend. It's, it's December, but there are some fun games. So we'll talk about it all tomorrow. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for the support. As always, talk to you soon. I'm Noah Warren, and this is To The Point.